Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. And joining us now to talk about chili, I always love talking food. Yes, I do. Uh, a couple of chili champs, Rob and Jaylene Cooley. Guys, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Hello. Hello. Are you there, Rob? Yes, I am. And is uh, Jaylene there too? Yeah. I'm Hi. Here. Hi, guys. Hey, hey um, so let's get this out of the way before we talk about chili. You guys were Canadian chili champs what year? We were Canadian champs for 2016, 17, and 18. Wow. So you've got a bit of a, a history at the Canadian Championships. Yes. Excellent. And then uh, you did really well at the Worlds too, right, Jaylene? Uh, well, Rob did better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys don't compete together. Uh, we were, like, I didn't make it in top 10, so I helped Rob out again. Uh-huh. Stepping, so. And how far up did you get, Rob? I, in 2018, we came fourth in the world, and we had a return ticket for 2019 return back. Wow. Excellent. So why are you guys so good at making chili? I mean, you're, you're world class. What's the secret? Well, we put a lot of love into it, and we use a lot of fresh ingredients, and uh, we uh, did a lot of homework uh, in, in, like, in, in checking out all our spices and stuff like that, trying to get the best of the best, you know? Yeah. Is there a secret uh, to making a good chili? Because, you know, uh, we were talking earlier, and I want to ask you about the chili they put on burgers here in Winnipeg, because a lot of places don't do that, and we do that here in Winnipeg. And we we often hear, oh, there's, you know, cinnamon in that one. Are there any secret ingredients uh, in chili to make it better, world class? Well, we put a lot of uh, honey. We have a local honey producer in Winnipeg. His name is John Russell Honey Farm, oh. and we put all his honey in everything that we make. We don't only make chili, but that's what that's chili is the one we started with. And like a couple of different chilies, we used, down in Alabama, we did a white chili with chicken. Uh, one year, I did bison with chili. Uh, we do a vegetarian chicken chili too. Plus, we put uh, steak in chili too. Huh. So we do several different types of chili. And, and Jaylene, do you and Rob disagree on, on your chilies? Do you do something that he doesn't do or vice versa? Well, of course we get some agree- uh, disagreements, but in the end we agree after experimenting. And- yeah. <laughs> and, and is real good chili more sweet or more spicy or both or, or what, Rob? Well, a real good chili, like I could dump a lot of heat in, so it could be the hottest chili out there. But a real good chili, we do a little bit of sweet, but a little bit of heat with, with a little bit of afterburn, but it all's got to mellow out together, you know. One can't overpower the other one. And that's difficult, I would imagine, eh? It is. It's a lot of practice. A lot of practice chili, doing chili. My kids are getting sick of chili right now. <laughs> You're making it all the time, eh? Yeah, we're always <laughs> practicing, and we do the chili like we do it on a barbecue yet, too, so we get, like, the smoky flavor in there, too, and everything, right. so. Yeah, and um, how did you get into this, uh, Rob? How did you guys start uh, entering yourselves in chili contests like this? 
Well, we moved into Cleefield about six years ago, and I was a long-haul truck driver. My wife phoned me up. I was on my way home, and she said, the Cleefield Honey Festival is having a chili cook-off. You want to join? I said, well, if you're going to take our late check, we'll join. So she phoned them up, and they said yes. And uh, that Friday night, we went over to the superstore, bought a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> and that year, we came third place. So wow. and we had to come up with a name, so we called ourselves Redneck Underdogs. <laughs> <laughs> and the year after that, we're getting more professional, more winning more stuff. And yep. then you know, we thought, you know what? We're going to have to get a little bit more down to earth here. So we're called Down Home Cooking. We do catering and stuff like that. And oh. we've been just going ever since. And, J- uh, and Jaylene, did, did you realize that you guys were good at cooking chili or was uh, just took a stab at it? Uh, just took a stab at it, I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And uh, let me ask you then, Rob, about uh, the chili that gets put on the fat boys here in Winnipeg, because a lot of cities, when they have burgers, uh, you know, a lot of the fat boys around Winnipeg have chili on them, whereas in other cities, you know, people will look at you and go, chili on a on a burger? What's that all about? Do you know anything about the chili that goes on our burgers here? Uh, I do a little bit, but I don't really call that chili. <laughs> okay, tell me why. Uh, chili is a nice bowl of, like, how we, what we, we do is a lot of fresh ingredients and all that. Yep. The chili that you guys get on a kind of bird is kind of, like, I, I say it's kind of, like, out of a can kind of deal. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of bland, kind of, you know? It's just kind of meat and sauce. There's no veggies exactly. or any of that stuff sauce. in it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, do you guys share your recipes, or is that a big secret, Jaylee? Um, give and take, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to let you guys go, but if you feel like sharing with me one of your recipes, you email it to me, hal at cjob.com, and I will put it out on my social media for people to try. How's that sound? Yeah. Okay. And I might make a bowl of chili and bring it down in there for you. You know what? You Well, listen, get in the truck and get down here because I'm hungry today. I've been hungry all day talking about it being chili day. That sounds like a good idea. Let's plan that. Uh, but in the meantime, if you can send me a recipe, I'll put it out to my thousands of followers on social media, and uh, I really appreciate your help, guys. Yeah, and they can follow us on Down Home Cooking on Facebook. we got a lot of videos and stuff out there, too. So Excellent. Down Home Cooking. Yes. Excellent. Rob and, and uh, Kiwi Canada. Okay. Rob, Jaylene, thanks a lot. Thank you. Appreciate it. The coolies. Spring weather conditions will determine extent of high water. U of M flood expert Jay Deering joins us on the phone now. Jay, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for doing this. No surprise, I guess. We'll have to, according to the province, Minister Schuler, we're, we're going to have to wait and see. And we've been hearing a lot of that. I think that's exactly right. This is a, a wait and see scenario. It's very early yet. Uh, we haven't even uh, turned the corner into March yet. Uh, that said, you know, if you have a look at the uh, conditions that we have, the province is uh, predicting if things are favorable, that we'll get something that looks an awful lot like last year. If it's uh, normal, we'd get something a little bit higher than last year. And if it's uh, unfavorable, we'd be looking at something that's uh, like a 2009 flood. Uh, and 2009 is sort of one of those years that bears mention because it's it, it has water levels associated with it that uh, begins to submerge Highway 75 and begins to lead to some closure of ring dikes. Yeah, and that, I guess, is the biggest concern, right? I mean, as you said a few times now that we've talked, 
things are different, uh, you know, from the real big floods. For example, 97, a lot of uh, things have been done to make floodwaters less of an issue. But still, when, uh, you know, Highway 75 gets shut down for uh, 20 or, or 30 or more days, that has an impact. It does have an impact. So, you know, going full circle back to the, uh, uh, to the, to the intro, we really don't know what we're going to get, uh, and we're going to have to sit tight for the next probably six weeks. Long-term forecasts are notoriously unpredictable. That said, I will tell you that they don't show any major precipitation, uh, nor do they show any particularly warm weather. In fact, they show slightly less than average precipitation and slightly cooler than uh, average weather, which those two combined would lead to a favorable condition, which means we'd see a flood pass through the city that really wouldn't look an awful lot different than the flood that passed through the city in November. Yeah, right. Yes, because and that was unusual, wasn't it? Or, Or was it? Extremely unusual. Extremely unusual. Now, we should probably be sensitive to our neighbors to the to the south, right. who uh, I believe are still uh, anticipating that it could be one of the five largest floods that they've seen. That that said, of course, you know, they, they have a brand new system down there that uh, protects them up to uh, 57, uh, what they refer to as 57-foot flood stage in Grand Forks. And they're, you know, sort of uh, worst case scenario, 5% probability of getting above 52 feet. So they're also well within uh, their level of protection. And as you've pointed out many times, that uh, water that they will see there will, uh, much of it, most of it will end up here. And, and so we have to keep that in mind. Absolutely. Uh, uh, 85% of the Red River's watershed lies south of the border, um, you know, they have this predefined channel, albeit with this very extensive levee system now to guide the water through the city of Grand Forks. Uh, we have an enhanced floodway. We've done lots of other upgrades. Uh, the city may rise up to, you say, under unfavorable conditions, a maximum of 20 feet, but there will still be a lot of reserve capacity in, in, in the floodway channel for additional water. Uh, not, not a concern for us by any means at this point in time. Hey, Jay, what more could we do here in Winnipeg uh, and or Manitoba when it comes to uh, mitigating the effects of floodwaters? What more could we do? That's a really good question. Um, It's tough for us to do much when, you know, the vast majority of the watershed lies south of the border. Um, and, you know, you can take, undertake initiatives where you manage culverts and, and highway crossings and, and try and use that sort of egg carton effect that often gets, gets referred to where you store the water in the cells. But when you're talking the, these larger floods, uh, those cells are often completely flooded out and the water's going over the roads. Uh, so it becomes hard to contain. It's really only the, the, the lesser floods that, where we could uh, uh, use that infrastructure to try and mitigate the peak. And, you know, I would argue that we've all increased our infrastructure uh, to handle these these large floods that we don't really worry so much about uh, trying to manage the smaller floods. And one final question. We've had, you know, last weekend was, was it last weekend that was really nice and above normal with sunshine, yeah, like above, above freezing? Above yeah, plus two. Right. It was beautiful. And we saw some melting. And now we're looking like we might get close to freezing or above freezing again into this weekend. 
does melting warm spells like that this far out, is that helping, you know, to uh, uh, cause what we would call a slow melt, which is good when it comes to flooding? Is it is it too far out or is that no. sort of warm weather and melting helpful? It's all helpful. Anything that we can do to uh, slowly melt or sublimate the uh water or the the snow that is sitting uh, in in the Red River Basin or the Assiniboine Basin currently uh, is water that that doesn't have to uh, run off uh, when things do get get much warmer. So these really gradual melts, uh, you know, really work well for us. You will recall last year around this time when we were doing interviews, I was predicting this was going to be one that could possibly be one of the top five floods uh, that Manitoba has, has seen. And what did we get? A really, really gradual melt that, that, that kept it out of the, out of the, the, the top five. So those, that slow melting is really important. Yeah. And again, further proof that you just never know, right? There's too many variables and we don't know what's going to happen yet. Absolutely. You know, prior to the storm in uh, April of 1997, yeah. we really weren't expecting uh, uh, it to be a, a significant year. But, you know, one Colorado low over a large portion of the basin uh, can be a game changer. Hey, Jay, uh, we're lucky to have an expert like you in the city, and I appreciate your time today and, and for always being available for me on this show. I appreciate it. Anytime, Hal. Thank you very much. Jay Deering, he's a civil engineer at the University of Manitoba and a flood expert, and uh, he does really know his stuff. Let me just read from the uh, provincial news release here, just a few paragraphs. It, essentially, Jay's much better at explaining where we're at, but I'll just I'll read this to you. So the, uh, the headline is, Spring weather conditions will determine extent of high water, according to Minister Schuler. Future snow and spring rain will determine the 2020 spring runoff and potential high water situations along the Red River, Infrastructure Minister Ron Schuler said today as he released the province's first spring thaw outlook. Our focus is currently on the Red River, where we are expecting a significant inflow of water from the northern United States, but with favorable weather conditions in Manitoba, we would expect high water levels similar to last spring, said Schuler. The Assiniboine River Basin and other rivers are expected to remain mostly in bank with possible overbank high water covering agricultural land. Manitoba Infrastructure's Hydraulic Forecast Center is modeling the current conditions with possible future weather scenarios with favorable conditions. So here are the scenarios that they've uh, 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 put through um, uh, the center. With favorable conditions, forecasters would expect similar water levels to 2019 last year. Last year, the Red River floodway was put into service, but Provincial Trunk Highway 75 from Winnipeg south to Emerson remained open. Average weather conditions, here's what happens if we get average weather conditions in the spring of 2020, that would result in water levels similar to 2011 on the Red River, according to forecasters. In that year... Highway 75 was closed for 29 days, all right? So average would maybe shut down 75 for up to a month. Unfavorable weather. So let's say we get a bunch of snow and it melts real quick. Unfavorable weather could lead to a runoff nearing 2009 levels. In 09, 75 was closed for 37 days. So that's where the flood forecast is at right now. And uh, David Phillips from Environment Canada was on the start this morning with Mackling and McNabb. McGarry is uh, off this week. He'll be back next week. 
Uh, but on the start this morning, David Phillips had this to say about what kind of weather we might see around here over the next little while. And of course, the weather is one of the variables, one of the factors that will affect flood conditions in the province of Manitoba. David Phillips. There's three possibilities. We could say colder than normal. We could say warmer than normal or something in between normal. And what we see right now for Manitoba is normal to slightly warmer than normal. So again, I mean, we can't, you know, we haven't seen winter's last hurrah, uh, but I I think um, the number of days, for example, below minus 20, on average, you get about maybe five of those in March uh, compared to, uh, say, 13 in February. So I, I think clearly we can expect some, you know, some cold air to come back. But, you know, it t- typically it doesn't last very long. It's like a one or two days at the most. It's this battle that takes place between winter-like weather and, and, and spring-like weather. And, you know, you see coming up in the next uh, seven days, I mean, the temperatures that are going to be five or seven degrees warmer than normal. So certainly we're going to end the month on a mild note. and We're going to begin March on a mild note. So, hey, the, uh, it's going to come in like a lamb and doesn't always leave like a lion. So uh, my sense is that this is clearly the back of winter is broken. Now, clearly, you can't, you haven't finished counting all the snowflakes. I mean, typically in Winnipeg, from this moment on, so when we look at March, April, and do I dare say May, you get on average about 31 centimeters of snow, about 27% of your annual snowfall. Now, right now, the snowfall sitting on the ground is less than it was last year. So from a flood point of view, that's pretty good. But last year, you had almost uh, a, a drought in the springtime, and that really saved your bacon with regards to flooding. So I think there's a little nervousness maybe about this year. I mean, what are, what are going to are there going to be some spring rains or some some of those Colorado hookers that come up north and and dump a bunch of snow on you? So you know, I mean, we just can't say that that's going to happen. Our models show a normal amount of precipitation, but normal to slightly warmer than normal temperatures going ahead. That is Environment Canada's David Phillips from the start this morning. You know, talking just quickly about the 90s, the uh, flood of 97, I remember vividly uh, my little white Mustang, and I woke up, and I was one of the hosts of the Variety Club Telethon, and I woke up and went, oh, my God, all this snow. And somehow I made it from, I was living in Tuxedo Charleswood at the time, somehow I made it down with my little two-wheel drive old Mustang down to the convention center, and I was one of two, I think, well, nobody else showed up. It was a ridiculous telethon because it was me and I, I I don't think Stan Kubitschek, I can't remember who, maybe Bob Washington was able to get in, and it was me. So it was like sort of a boring, it was like the HAL telethon, kind of. Uh, But yeah, 1997. People have been saying, where's Carolyn Klassen? Where's she been? Where's she at? Is she still doing Thursday afternoons? Yes, yes. But she went on an incredibly long vacation and she's back now. Welcome back, Carolyn Klassen. Thank you for having me back. How many weeks were you gone? Four, three, four? I was gone. It was a 28-day vacation, which is twice as long as any other vacation I've had in my adult life. Tell me what that's like. 
you know, it's qualitatively different than a two-week vacation. I just, there is this way where you're a week into vacation, you have three weeks left, and it's like feels forever till you have to work. And so, I mean, I'm a business owner. I still have to check my email every day, every other day. But I I could do it sort of from a distance, spend just a few minutes, and then forget about it. And I tried to build some practices in to give me that distance so that it was a true vacation. And it, you know, like when university professors or pastors go on a sabbatical where they can just forget about work and just rest and relax and come back rejuvenated. That's how I feel. Yeah. No, I don't know anything. I don't know what that's like at all, actually. <laughs> well, I didn't either. And I heard it was great. And now I know it's great. So it is. So so you would suggest if somebody can get more than a week or two, try and do it. I know that it's not possible for many yeah, people. Right. I, I get that. And it was it's a, it's a true gift that I don't take for granted. Um, it's such a privilege to be able to have four weeks off at a time. If somebody can do it, do it to try it out to see because it it really does. It I come back now with an enthusiasm and an energy that I haven't had, I feel like, in a long time. Wow. And you went to where? Where'd you go? So we went two weeks in New Zealand and two weeks in Australia. We had a chance to visit our kids for 10 days in Australia and New Zealand in the first part of Australia. We're just vacation. Um, my husband and I, we got married almost five years ago um, and we got married being parents. And so parents, kids come first. And so this was the longest we've ever had to be just husband and wife. Um, and we found out that we travel well together. We kind of hoped we would, but we mm. didn't know for sure. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was so good in so many ways to be away. Oh, good. Well, well you were missed here. Oh, thank you. Yes, everybody was asking about you, concerned that, uh, you know, we uh, took your swipe card and uh, walked you out of the building, uh, which uh, has not happened. Uh, Carolyn was just on vacation, so it's great to have you back because, man, I'll tell you, lots of stuff has come up and happened over the last little while, and I wished you were here to talk mm. about it. So let, can we talk about a couple of yeah. things? Um, unless you want to say anything about vacation, unless you want to talk a little bit about the importance of a vacation, maybe not 28 days. But even the importance of taking a break before we move on. Well, taking a break. Well, one of the things, my husband laughs because I'm like, I'm always about goals and objectives and stuff. So I said to him before we went, so what are your objectives for vacation? He's like, objectives for vacation. And I'm like, I'd like them by the end of the day, please. <laughs> and um, what I, what we wanted to do was figure out what each of us was looking for. Because yeah. if I'm looking to do one, I want to be able to be sympathetic or empathic, yeah. right? I'm a little wound up about making sure we get places on time and early so that the shuttle, we're there when the shuttle arrives. And so he would sort of indulge me and, okay, we'll be there five minutes early when I really don't think we need to be. And he could do that for me because that was one of my objectives was to reduce my stress. Right. There was one time when we were driving to to Glenorchy, New Zealand, which is beautiful, but there's no shoulders and the roads are really narrow and you're riding on the wrong side of the road and he's doing the driving. So mm. he doesn't have a chance to enjoy the scenery. So there was one time where I'm like, however long, often you want to stop, I'll be patient. I won't complain. We'll yeah. squeal. So we, which should have been a 45 minute trip took more than twice that because of all the times we stopped. But I could give that to him because mm. I knew that was one of his objectives. And you're right. When you travel with somebody else, whether it's a, a part, you know, a, a relationship, partner, marriage, or, or just friends, it is important to have that discussion. What do you want from this oh, vacation? Yeah. Because some people will say, I want to go party and have fun. And other people will say, I want to lay in a beach and not get up till noon every day. So you have to make sure you're kind of on the same page or at least willing to go there with the other person. Right. And sometimes he goes off and looks at art galleries, which I'm not interested in, but I wanted some time just to be able to read and think and write and, uh, you know, on a 
patio somewhere. Yeah. So we could we knew that and we could plan for it. And so it felt like the vacation was each what we needed. Uh, and we gave each other permission to do our own thing at times. Um, yeah. So I think talking about objectives is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. A couple things uh, that have come up that are in the news today, even still, it seems like, you know, some of this was discussed when, before you left. Um, let's start with COVID-19, which is the, the coronavirus and the fear around that. We're going to talk to Global News reporter Marnie Blunt in about an hour from now, and, and she's going to uh, sort of help us talk to our kids about it. Mm-hmm. But how do we, you know, because we have the, this is becoming more serious, or it appears as though it's becoming more serious, maybe not here yet, hopefully it won't here, <laughs> but it's becoming more serious elsewhere. And there's fear, right? There's worry around this. How do we give it the proper amount of worry, the proper amount of concern based on where we're at here, not in Wuhan, China? Right. And I think you're that even the question is a really important question. How do we give it the proper amount of concern? I was just traveling um, in Australia, New Zealand. Right. So there's it's quite a bit close. They have a lot of traffic from China and um, a lot of Asians that live there. Um, and so and you're traveling in airplanes. And so I was really aware of it because a lot of people were were having fear. A lot of people were wearing masks when all the science says wearing masks doesn't help, may in fact make it slightly worse because you're putting your hands by your face so often. Um, and so I think it's about how do we recognize what the science is and act out of the science and um, how do we be smart without being terrified, right? We put our seatbelts on and we don't say to our kids as we put our seatbelts on, we might have an accident, you better put your seatbelt on. We just say, we want to be safe, put your seatbelts on, right? We want to be safe, wash your hands. Um, how do we make sure that we're doing what we can, like washing our hands and being smart, um, coughing into our elbows and things like that? Um, we be smart without freaking ourselves out because when you look at the stats, we're really quite safe. There's a lot of things to be a lot more frightened about than this coronavirus at this point. Um, and I think we need to be realistic about that. Yeah. And and we also, you know, the, the we have the health experts on and they've been saying all along, you need to worry more about the, influen- the flu influenza than right. you need to worry about COVID-19. Um, so, yeah, I think it's proper to give it you know, and, and some people have complained and said, oh, you in the media, you know, you're talking about it every day. But I mean, it is a big story elsewhere, maybe not here in Winnipeg and Manitoba right now, but it is a big story elsewhere. And, and we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't talking about it. But we also have to make sure we have discussions like this where we say here, here to is keep a, it appropriate, right. but but that we don't want to be hyper vigilant, but we do want to be vigilant because it's vigilance that's going to help this thing not go, not spread out of control, right, by being smart. But um, if I can tell you, I used to work in rehab hospitals, right? And so sometimes I'd work with people who would have fractured their hip, for example. They get their hip pinned and now they're ready for rehab. And I would go into a person's room and i say, okay, let's get you up. We need to have you walk across the room. Um, we need to start getting you moving because we want to rehab you. And they'd say, it was walking that I fell and how I broke my hip. I, I'm going to lie in this bed until I'm feeling better. And once I'm feeling better, I need to be safe. So once I'm feeling better, then I will get out of bed. And there's this part of me that had to say, you know, actually staying in bed has its own risks because when you stay in bed and are frightened of getting up, then you're you're not breathing deeply. You're not getting your lungs fresh air. You could get congested, right? There could be complications that happen when you spend too much time in bed. You're actually, you're safer keeping moving. And so sometimes I think 
people can get so frightened of the coronavirus that they pull in and they withdraw, that that creates other problems. And you're not actually, by solving one problem, you're creating risks for another. And so I think we have to be really appropriate, really aware of what appropriate reaction is and not to overreact. Because when you overreact and you get frightened and your fear hijacks you, that takes you out of the life that's good for you. We need to be getting out and exercising. We need to be getting together with people. We need to be reassuring our children and living our lives because that is also keeps us healthy. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.